This episode of Behind the Scene has been brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery and a small print shop. Hi, Sherry. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Good. How are you? I'm doing very good. Welcome back. Kind of. Kind of welcome back. <laughs> Our episodes are a little sporadic these days. There's uh, a little space between and that's okay. Okay. I wasn't judging. <laughs> well, we had a vacation. We did. So, you know, that gets in the way. We went to California. I wouldn't say it gets in the way. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't get in the way. <laughs> Getting in the way, I mean, there's never a positive use of that term, is there? Um, because to me, to me, that's a negative. But, uh, you know, I was meaning it tongue in cheek <laughs> because it was, of course, a positive because we went to California sure. during the winter time. Right what, after, when it was nice. right after yeah. being sick, both of us, the entire household was sick. Yeah. Everybody was sick. Everybody in Denver is sick. Yes. Speaking of, I'm actually afraid. Like I don't want to know if the two guests that are on the show that were were oh, no, were about to premiere. <laughs> yeah, no, when because and I didn't think about it until I was oh, listening. Yeah, I, I, I didn't, didn't think about it good. until I was listening back. <laughs> And I was realizing when I was listening back that I kind of had, I could kind of hear the slight sickness mm-hmm. in my voice. And then if I think back, I remember it was like that next day that it hit me hard. Yeah. And so Probably. I feel awful like if if, if, if they got sick because of it's me. Oh, well. What they brought you, you wine and everything. They brought <laughs> wine and champagne. and. You guys had lots of fun. Yeah, it was good. So who we're talking about. Is uh, Toddy Walters and Scott Doug- Douglas Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, Toddy is a is a musician as well as an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott is a writer and a director. And what's really cool is this is the the reason I'm having a show is they made a movie. Uh, they made a movie called Stadium Anthems. It's a comedy, kind of a kind of a dark. Uh, absurdist Monty Python-esque mm. comedy about uh, well it's set in Denver it's they about music yeah they f- it was all filmed in Denver oh. it's been it's as well set in Denver I mean you see flashes of you know Colfax and Bluebird <laughs> and you know they're dropping Denver Denver names all through the place so it's really cool in that oh, respect neat. I mean just you know how that is yeah. you know, like watching a show and yeah. it's just really cool to and you've never with talked city. to a movie maker exactly. before. Cool. Exactly. This is the first time that we've had somebody that's made a movie. And <clears throat> I got to say, like, it was pretty eye-opening. You know, you, yeah. we, we understand the world of music and music production. So we know what it means when somebody mm-hmm. says they recorded an album. <laughs> sure. And we even know, like, what questions to ask to understand, like, kind of what realm that is was this something you recorded in your basement was it something that you went to some fancy studio to do did you get other people outside people involved all that stuff but the the world of movie making Mm -hmm. is so huge and different and what i was and i was kind of realizing it during the interview was that what sets it apart is it's this world that it's 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 the one thing nowadays that you just can't do alone. Sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you wanted to, you could make an album all by yourself from start to finish. Yeah. Drums, bass, guitars, keys, synths, everything. 
you know, vocals, everything. You have start to finish, you can make an album with involvement of no other people. Mm-hmm. You really can't do that. And of course, with all other art mediums, you pretty much can do, you know, it can be a solo adventure. You, that's really not possible right. in this movie realm. And it's really interesting. It's it's interesting Did that they talk about like how many people they had. Like, I mean, we didn't specifically or? like get into numbers, but you mm. you do get a sense of like the scale of, of yeah. what this means because they were talking about that this was a legitimate production where you know mm-hmm. you're hiring people and you're hiring crews, local crews, and we talked about um, how that's actually unique in Denver. Denver doesn't have much of a of a movie and television production sure. world. And actually, Toddy filled, filled us in uh, greatly on why that is and the history of that apparently in the 90s. You know, some of the, you know, we weren't here in the 90s. Uh-huh. But there was a law in Colorado that was passed that kind of allowed discrimination based on sexual orientation. It was like this weird... What? Yeah, it was this weird, like, <laughs> flex time where, where people... Were like Colorado passed this law that kind of allowed that, backhandedly allowed it, mm-hmm. and then so the people in the film industry kind of abandoned Colorado because it, apparently it used to be a decent place, you know. In some of those '80s TV shows and stuff, they were filmed here, uh, and apparently they they all moved to New Mexico. And so as we know now, like Breaking, made famously by Breaking Bad and yeah. Better Call Saul, but also a lot of other things are actually New Mexico is this hotbed now. Hmm. of film and TV production and Colorado's not. And we were, we kind of got into a little bit about that, about like, you know, why that was and steps we should do as a society to make hmm. that better. So it's it, all around is extremely interesting. The, um, the film is a comedy, like I said, a dark comedy, kind of in a Monty Python, kids in the hall, just that kind of over the top, uh, dark, crude humor, you mm-hmm. know. Can and people watch it? Like, ex- is it accessible? Yes. Yeah, you can. Uh, actually, if you have Amazon Prime, you can just go call it up and watch it. What's it called? As part of Amazon Prime Stadium Anthems. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, otherwise, you can, of course, buy it um, probably on Amazon for sure, probably through iTunes as well. It's all the normal places. Oh. But, yeah, it was a really fun Sounds interview. It's cool. fun to talk to people in that world. I don't get a... I haven't yet had a chance to really talk to people that have been in that process of making a film. And I actually love that the first people we talked to were, were people that were making an independent film, like 100% independent from start to finish mm-hmm. to distribution. Because we even actually, we spent a lot of time talking about what it's like for them after the movie's all made. And they're they're like left with trying to figure out how to promote it and like yeah. how to get people to watch and how to... Yeah. You know, how to get people to care about giving it a rating and a review and s- stuff like that. And it's actually very analogous to music world, mm-hmm. very, very similar to that. So it's really cool. Was it, was it music based? Like I know Toddy is a musician. It, yes, it's a music movie. It's not a musical, um, oh, okay. you know, there's a, you know <laughs> like the actors don't just suddenly break out in the song to express the scene, but um, it's definitely a music movie. It's it's about the music industry. You know, oh. it's about musicians, and uh, it's all original music, and it's all music performed by Denver art artist Toddy 
and Scott both basically, mm-hmm. you know, between the two of them and uh, different capacities pen the soundtrack. And so, oh, cool. yeah, it's all, it's all very, it's very cool. It's I'm very, a, I'm a fan of it. It's hers. a very awesome fusion <laughs> of, of movies and music and art and satire and everything. So I definitely think people should check it out and obviously have a listen. So, all right, let's do it. Well, let's, yeah, <laughs> let's have a listen. So it's, uh, this episode is Scott Douglas Brown and Talia Walters from Stadium Anthems. Hi, this is Scott Douglas Brown. And this is Toddy Walters from the new film Stadium Anthems. And you're listening to Behind the Scene on Ultra 5280. As we were talking about uh, before we got rolling, the um, I love I love this. I love having other areas. You know, focus has always been on music, and my kind of concentration has always been on music. But I love talking to people in other art scenes as well, and especially when there's a tie-in. That's my favorite thing. Is when you know I find out there's a musician. He also paints, or well, yeah, the musician out that makes uh, floral installations, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I love that kind of thing. And we've had ballet dancers and comedians, photographers, but this is our first about a movie, about an independent <laughs> film. So I'm super excited Ooh. about that. Um, also, I mean, this, and this is a film that is a celebration of Denver. It's set in Denver. It's, you know, all the, the music is it all local, like by local musicians mm-hmm. or? Yeah, all and you're completely. one of them, Toddy. Mm-hmm. It should be noted that you're, uh, you're a musician yourself. You're yes. And currently, well, I don't know if you're currently performing. I don't know what's the status of Winehouse. Are you still doing that? No, I'm kind of on a semi-permanent hiatus from okay. Winehouse. That's what I know you from. 
Yeah. As the head of Winehouse. Yeah. She's excellent. So, uh, that's wine. a little hedging your bets. I love that in, in your music world when you guys are all like, well, we're on semi-permanent hiatus. <laughs> in other words, like, I'm not doing it now. Always got to have an Might in. never do it again. And an out. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> you got uh, to leave the option open. You're right. You got <laughs> to leave the potential there for, cause, you know, I always say it's what, because we've done the same thing. Or, the band I was telling you about in Minnesota were technically not broken. <laughs> technically. You, just, you, know, you could always you come You're just not doing door. it right now right. is yes. the only thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I would say in film, like it'd be better storytelling if you just said like, hey, it was a nasty split. We'll never get back together again. <laughs> we and then unconsciously uncoupled. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow kind of um, terminology. But I think... Um, yeah, I think like I understand. I understand why you want to leave the door open, and at the <laughs> same time, um, um, yeah, nomenclature is important in in your world. It's cool. Stadium anthems. That's the name of the movie. It is. And it's I I, I watched it. It's hilarious. We were talking about um, it's kind of a dark comedy. You gave not, a Monty Python. Not kind of, Sean. You gave a Monty Python. <laughs> You're either reference. in with dark comedy or, or it's not kind of hilarious, you know. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you gave a Monty Python reference that I didn't think of when watching it, but it's the perfect reference. It's such a good reference. It's that kind of irreverent, dark, um, crude at times, but Fair. in a good way. Sure, sure. <laughs> and it's it's hilarious. There's there's some scenes that I know are just gonna like stick in my head forever and we'll, we'll get into that <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that i'm so curious about the making of it i'm curious about what goes into a production like that because i i can't even comprehend I, I i can't conceptualize what it would take to pull off something that big it's an impressive feat on its own so just on that basis so congratulations to yeah. you both and you know, thank you great job done mm -hmm. you can find this movie and we'll we'll keep mentioning this but um, uh, find this movie on Amazon. Um, is there any other yeah. locations, any, any place preferred spots you want people to go? No, not necessarily. You know, after our premiere in Hollywood, it, it went on to Amazon, um, us and UK for a few weeks on the sort of, um, rent or download mm -hmm. model. Um, but just like music, you know, f um, especially with, with, Wi-Fi, like the model, and, and with Amazon in particular, getting a dominant market space in that, that's like most people watch movies um, on Amazon Prime for free, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. um, as part of their Prime membership. And so it's not, in some ways, it's ridiculous to go like, oh, I can't wait till I get off this pay-per-view model or this download model so I can get onto the free model. <laughs> but what's cool about that is like it, you know, it opens, you know, on Monday we, we opened up to, to 68 English speaking countries um, where before we were in the U S and we were in the UK and some guy from Germany, my friend, Jorn, hit her friend, Jorn, um, who had umlaus in his first and last name. <laughs> that's how I remember him. But he's like, I want to watch this movie right now. How can I? And I was like, where's Ugh. the D E right? Where's the yeah. Amazon dot D E. And it's like, and, and by the way, Yorn is still S O L because like, I just put in the subtitle order for that, you, you know, for the, for Germany and like, yeah, 
German broadcasting protocol requires that like there is um, subtitles in German. Yeah, you know, you can't sense. just throw it up anywhere. But so anyway, yeah, we. Oh, that's to, interesting. It, you know, I mean, even captioning, Sean, is yeah. very interesting. It's it's not something that I need when I w- watch a movie, but um, but more and more, like I've noticed it since I've be, since we I've gone from like you know a writer into making films, or at least this film. Um, you know, I've, I've, I'll sit on an airplane and I'll see someone watching a film on their, you know, iPad or whatever yep. it is. And because they're on an airplane, they're watching it with captions. Well, I mean, that's, that's not an option for us. Like, you have to provide captions. And that's the broadcasting system in their requirements and also looking out for people who can't yeah. hear the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so certainly I understand, but did not anticipate that like every country in which you would show the film, um, is going to need, you know, a translation and some subtitles that, I mean, that alone seems like a big undertaking. It was like to get to find somebody to translate it it in German. The entire thing is a massive rabbit hole, you know, and you go down it, you go down it sort of knowing well, at least in, in retrospect, that that like, hey, if I had ever known what I know now, I would have never gone down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, sure. Especially on the spend, right? You know, when when the spend hits your your pocket, you know, and and you're budgeted, and you have a proper producer who gives you like, oh, this is what it's going to cost. But no, it always costs more, and there are always unforeseen costs. And yeah, yeah this bet. last week, I was like. You know, our, our, our distributor was like, hey, listen, we're going to put it on these platforms. But like if you want it in a certain language, that's kind of still on you because that's not what we talked about in the front end. I'm like, oh, OK, well, yes, I need it in Dutch. I mean, I need it in Dutch, don't I? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, you need it in Dutch. Like I want it. I have always said the film will play is indigenous to more of a year, you know, to your point, Sean, about Pi- Monty Python. I don't even know if that's... A, yeah, a, I think they'll catch right on, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They love the ugly American yes. satirical, yep. you know, lampooning of the ugly mm-hmm. American. Yeah. And so I had to, you know, I had to um, sort of move forward with the idea that, like, this is a, a European film disguised as a very vulgar American film. They'll understand nuances that maybe most Americans kind of take for granted. Mm-hmm. I love little tidbits like that where you, I, I would have never, you know, because I'm actually, I've gotten to where, and I think it's also related to watching more stuff on like on your computer and things like that, like in, or on your phone or tablets or whatever. But um, I've gotten actually to where I will flip on captioning a lot, even when I'm listening to the audio. Sometimes really, I'll flip on captioning. That's really... Um... Sherry hates it. <laughs> <laughs> she'll, 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 it drives her crazy. Like, Can you turn that off? Like, but yeah. why, why do you? I don't know. I almost feel like I catch more or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's not, there's nothing wrong with my hearing as far as I know. But no, I think, uh, I think there's a, like a secondary way in which language is presented Yeah. through captioning, like simultaneously as the lines are being, you know, said by the actors. That's, um, that's sometimes like a, you know, a complimentary thing, even though it should be in theory, just a, a kind of an, you know, yeah. text-based text echo of what you're you're hearing on screen. 
But I don't. I love tidbits like that because I, in a million years, I wouldn't have, th- have thought of the complexities that goes into just getting that system in place, and especially for other other languages. It's so fascinating. And some, and like yeah. you were saying, some some countries have laws that say, "Oh, if you want to play here, you have to have this." I would say it's annoying, <laughs> but of course, I have a specific perspective, you know, at this moment. Because it's it was just an unforeseen thing for us, and you're losing yeah. customers when it's not available to them. Yeah. Whereas, like, Correct. if one sec, you know, one group um, in Germany say Jorn's friends, and they all love it, and they're like, "Oh, I want to send it over to Holland to my Dutch friends," and they can't they can't see it because they can't get the subtitles. Or whatever, you're just losing out on that little train yeah. that's gonna like exponentially grow. Do you have then oversight on like the translation? Like, do you, well, I guess you, I if you don't speak the language, how so, could you know? Like, no, but I, I specifically wanted that, as, and because the film, and, and I didn't get it because it becomes it, some of these things you you are sort of talked down off the ledge is ridiculously pie in the sky. Like, you're like the, our distributor and, and the and the lady I work with is is great at being like, hey, I get it, but you know. And, um, yeah, like with, um, especially with Germany. So the film is about the music industry. Yeah. We should probably throw that in act one of this um, yeah, 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 podcast. Cause, cause it's really, it's a, if there was like a sort of elevator pitch or a log line. Yeah. What's your elevator pitch? No, you do this. the elevator pitch. I do the log line. I can't, okay. I, I haven't worked it out. You do a good elevator. Right. It's a surrealistic, absurdist, take on the music industry and how it's changed in the last 20 years it centers on a record label based out of denver of which there are very few record labels of note here coincidentally but coincidentally but it was effective and it's um part dramedy part mockumentary um it's it's as the tagline on amazon says it's intelligently raunchy i think that's i think what she said is, is spot on i think plot wise like a female i think the log line we went to which you know for folks who are not log line um, familiar, that sounds dangerous it does that's a log line. It, is, it sounds um, technical but it's like back in the day of like netflix dvds you get yeah. one in the mail and you flip it over on the back of the envelope yeah the yeah and it would give you a short, you know, one or two sentence descriptor and, and of the plot specifically. And, and so I think what we settled on in the log line, which is different than the elevator pitch that's high. Or the tagline. Or the, yeah, 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 right. Just to properly confuse everybody. <laughs> um, log line is, I think in, in our case, a, a female art teacher is forced to navigate the male dominated recorded music industry in the internet age. That was good. Now in in post, if you could like make that sound a little more. (laughs) Put some reverb on it. (laughs) Much appreciated, but, but that's what happens. Right. And so you've seen, you've seen the film and that's, um, that's what happens. There is a dichotomy between the art of creating music and, um, Right. These three Gen X guys who still own a label and, and um, manage to own a label only because they've got this really super entrenched 
you know, Axl Rose type rock star on there who um, can throw out anything and it'll make still enough to, to carry them by in their hedonistic lifestyle um, to carry that that on as well. And so um, all of a sudden, you know, that business tanks and, uh, and it gives them a perverted sort of opportunity to go back to the authentic reasons for which they ever got into the, the music business and the, the label business right. in the first place. And Toddy's character is a big big driver of that. You use the um, absurdist title. You use the absurdist description. Absurdist. Yeah, which kind of, which actually, honestly, that that exact word had come to mind. It's a perfect description. And I, and I love it because it's that kind of, and going back to that's exactly what that kind of dark, you know, British like surrealistic humor is that where you just bring certain things little things over the top that are in the in the normal stuff i'm not getting giving anything away here but what i absolutely love is that every time we're in a boardroom scene the the consultant guy is just sitting there with a gag in his mouth <laughs> like <laughs> i found that to be hilarious he wasn't really right. doing anything but he was just there and that's that kind of you know, yeah. humor that you kind of have. You, I mean, he's there. He's just, he's not um, in the background or anything. But he, well, he kind of is. But you, you know, you you have to catch that and then think about it. And it's the kind of thing that you could watch several times and then catch little new things like that, which I love. Yeah, yeah. It's very it's interesting because I, I I wanted it to sort of you know even though it's about music, I wanted it to be able to sort of transcend any sort of um, business model. Mm-hmm and have some sort of broad-based appeal or point of recognition for folks who, like you, have a day job at a, at right. a, at a massive corporation. Right. And so, you know, I have sat, Tati and I are both HR people in in, in the day world, which is crazy um, in its own way. And so, <laughs> um, but but you, I've sat in those board meetings yeah, and countless it, it times. Has, it has just felt like you know, like acid gone really wrong. Like there's, there's just this, this reality that completely um, melts away, and it becomes this artificial sort of indigenous company reality. And everyone there is just nodding their head, or some people are like, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the boardroom scene where this guy gets gagged, it's just. Sometimes when you put a bunch of different people in a room who don't really care about anything that the company's doing, they just want to make a wage and go home and support right. their families. And then, um, but they're surrounded by people they'd never spend time with otherwise. Like sh- shit gets really surreal fast, and and the absurdist stuff is was an intention. Um, the intention there was to kind of reflect the ridiculousness of. Of what we do when we embrace a corporate job, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As I mentioned before, uh, so let's let's dive into your histories for for a moment. Um, kind of what brought you and how you got into everything. So, Tony, let's start with you because you're mm. good, like we talked about before. You're a musician. Um, yeah. Seems like you've been doing it for a while. What? Yeah. Uh, when did that start for you? When did you know as a teen, as a kid, or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, have been singing my entire life. Um, when I was a kid, I sang in choirs and I was always interested in music. I felt mm-hmm. like I had a nice knack for um, pitch and 
I just was always kind of in the creative world and I was afforded to be able to be part of the children's chorale, which is a pretty well-known children's chorus here in Denver. Are you from here? Mm, yeah, I'm oh, from, nice. I'm from here for a couple few years. And then I learned how to play the guitar when I was in fourth grade and fifth grade I played. And then, um, I ended up going to my first acting class was at the Bonfies theater back before it was the tattered cover mm, and okay. in seventh grade. And then, um, I ended up going to high school at the, I went to South high school, but I ended up going to the career education center. Cause I wasn't really, I wasn't, I was flailing in high school a little bit. So the career education center was sort of the prototype to the Denver school of the arts oh, okay. in that you could go for a half a day to the career education center or CEC and study theater. You could study dance. You could study weirdly nursing or audio engineering. Hmm. And so I finished high school there and then I went to college at the college of Santa Fe and studied theater there and um i had put down the guitar until for after fifth so you sound forever. like you were kind of more focused on acting yeah you definitely were. um on the acting track i went for a year to the college of santa fe and i dropped out um and moved to la for a year and or a little bit more than a year because my some of my friends in santa fe were moving to la i was like that's all i had ever wanted to do was yeah. find myself in la i was just like hell-bent on going and I was there for a year and a little bit more but while I was there um, I was introduced to someone some older dude that I kind of like dated and I was like dated and like this that sure, worked sure. at the restaurant she just made quote <laughs> well no he would come into the restaurant that I worked in anyway he was he was funny because he was the bass player he said he was a bass player and he was like, hey, you should come and, you know, sing in my band. Because I'm like, I'm a singer, you know. And he's like, all you got to do is put on a short skirt. It doesn't even matter what you sound like. And I was like, okay, I could do that. So me and my roommate Claire sang back up in this band. But the cool thing about what he told me was uh, we sang out on a couple gigs. And it was really fun. And I could sing. So it was really, f really fun for me. And I was like, this is where it's at, you know. But this guy said he was the bass player. And he said, you know, you should really get your own band together. And back then, this was like the late 80s. Sure. And I was like, what? No way. I could never do that. That You know, that's totally outside of my... I could never do that. Right. And nowadays, you know, it's so different. And eight-year-olds, eight-year-old women, you know, girls are creating bands. It's so cool. But so anyway, I started that... I'm with you. It seems like back in those... I Because I wasn't in that world at all until later in life. Mm -hmm. And so I... I feel like I couldn't even imagine what I would have done in, you know, like the nineties or so. I have no fucking idea. Like right. That. It was just, it's just something you didn't really think that's what I'm going to aspire yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah. So, so you weren't in bands like prior to that, like, was like not. throughout high school and all that stuff. You never, yeah, no. you know, you just say you put down just the guitar. Sang, so and, just you know, and, and personal thing. Like yeah. That. And then finally, when I, w I was about 19, I took his advice and I, well, I started writing songs and mm -hmm. I started playing the guitar again and I was just really into it for a few years and I got a band together in the early 90s and played in Denver for about five or six years until I moved to LA again in 1998 and that was amazing. I did a record, um, a good friend of mine found funding for me to do a record back in 1997 and we did this full record. We were in the studio for a year at the Sleeping Brotherhood, which is Kyle Jones' studio. He's the one that did all the music and the 
um, co-produced the record on Stadium oh, nice. Anthem, all okay. the music in Stadium Anthems. So I've had this long-standing relationship with Kyle. And um, so then I moved to L.A. and I had this record under my belt. And, you know, and I was that was going home on music all the way when I was there. And I successfully played with my band for a few years in L.A. And then I started just singing on different um, producers' songs like a lot of producers that provide music for like commercials or Mm -hmm. just independent releases mostly geared towards um releasing or licensing to film and television i would sing on those i i created relationships with a different number of producers and i would usually write melody and lyrics because a lot of producers are really good musicians they just don't they don't do lyrics and they don't do melody so I learned how to collaborate with people on that front, and so I have a bunch of music that's um, either that I've collaborated with people or it's my music that I've gotten produced over the years, and so I have a large kind of catalog of music that's not really available necessarily, Sure, but but I've had a lot of experience doing that, and so when Stadium Athens came around and I was offered the, um, the, um, what's the word? The role, the role of not only the lead actor, but also um, someone who can write music for the film and perform music in the film. I was like, oh my God, this is so great. And so. Had you been doing acting stuff long in there? She she left out a lot in there. <laughs> oh my God, how much time do you have? It was amazing. First of all, like the biggest discrepancy in, this, in her story between. Uh-huh. Her story in reality is that like she is um, a super um, intensely accomplished um, because the work is there to listen to um, and judge against singer songwriter. Yeah, and like so in Denver nowadays, you know she she is, has mentioned like oh you know I'd do a Winehouse tribute that could be you know dead or alive on a given day or whatever, <laughs> but. Um, um, she's put out her own records, you know, for 20 plus years. And, um, and I met her in casting as an actor and, um, and on a whim, she played a kind of a show as like the number three slot, you know, at a bar that was so close to my house, I couldn't really find a reason to not go. Mm-hmm. And I went and this is after I had written, like, I'd taken, like, two years off to write the songs for the film, you know? And that was what was going to happen. And I was just going to find someone to kind of ape ape the lyrics, yeah, you yeah. know? Um, and and pr- get them produced professionally and whatnot. But I, I went to one of her shows, and um, I remember having a few drinks and waiting for her to come on. She came on, and I, I was so... I'm such a planner. I was so thrown off by it that I had to like go home and go on a jock with a couple drinks in me at like 12 at night because (laughs) I realized that like, wait, this, this person kind of has undersold the fact that she's an incredible singer songwriter Mm -hmm. and that these songs that I just heard, like I, I saw them flashing across like my sort of visual manifestation of the script and going, Oh, we're definitely going to need that song over here. You know, and, and it was just so stunning to me that I had to um, kind of leave the venue. You know, yeah, my 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 sort of the way that things were going to go had been completely turned on end. And in retrospect, of course, that was awesome. 
But right, at the, right, at the right, moment, right. it was like, I'm, I'm not a person, you know, if we're going to the restaurant at 6.30, it's got to be that restaurant. It's got to be 6.30. You yeah. know? So when I have a plan, then it's upset. Yeah, I'm kind of like that, too. Yeah. I know what you mean. I yeah. hate that about myself, but it's what's real. And so I was really thrown off by it. Anyway, that she did that, and then we have to somewhere talk about her acting career because she's also probably the most accomplished actor in Denver by virtue of having um, just her life experience. Yeah, be, based on um, my affiliation with the South Pork, South Pork, South Pork guys, um, South Park, uh-huh. um, back in, older. I went, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I'm 29-ish. In college, I went to another collective year of college at CU Boulder, uh-huh. I think in 1992, and I Shortly after, I met Trey Parker, who was casting mm-hmm. for a film. He was making call back then. It was called Alfred Packard the Musical. Now it's known as Cannibal the Musical. Oh, okay, which is their first live action feature film that they made back when they were basically still seniors in college. And I got that role and was able to. Uh, and Trey and I became in a relationship for about six years. So I was able to do some of the things that he was doing, which was South Park. And so I was there during the whole beginning of the creation of South Park. Oh, that's and awesome. I did a couple or a few voiceovers for the show in the first two seasons. And um, I was the part of Winona Ryder in the feature film, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Oh, yeah? And that was really cool because that, you know, it kind of afforded me some, a little bit of exposure, yeah, which is yeah, awesome. Definitely. And, but at that point it, this was, uh, and then Orgasmo was the next feature mm-hmm. film that they made. That was live action and that got released on Troma around 1998, I think. And so I had moved to LA by then it's such a slog, you know, it's really, 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 yeah, really hard it. and it's hard on you. And so I was like, music is something I love and I'm, I'm good at, and it's something I can direct and I can, I can make it what I want. And I don't have to have anyone tell me what to do or how to do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's kind of what I did for 20 years. I didn't, I didn't do any acting really. I did some voiceover, but I didn't do any straight up film acting at all until stadium anthems came along what brought you to audition for it what brought you to well, what what interested you in it we have a mutual friend who's also a casting person jason stovall mm-hmm. otherwise known as sid pink he's kind of a local uh, character and i've known him since the south park days back back in the day and so he does casting and he sent me in a facebook message that said hey you should audition for this film that's being made and i was just what I mean, that that never happens. And I was like, of course I'll do that. That sounds fun, you know? It's just a, it, it's just fun to do that. And I'm so, wow, thank you for asking me, you know? <laughs> so when I came in, when I came into audition and Scott was so nice and um, I read for one of the other characters, Terry, who is the um, church-going secretary mm. oh, that yeah, offers yeah, yeah. Yep. the guy cream. And, you know, right, she's right, right. hilarious. And I read for that part um, seconds and after after I read um, Scott said something really funny and cute he was like well my, my mother told me never to ask a woman's age but you you know I oh I read for Claire who was a little bit of an older character mm-hmm. in the film yeah, yeah yeah and he was like my mom told me never to ask 
a woman's age, but you know, you don't seem like you could play someone in their forties. And I was like, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. It was so funny because she did come in and she read for Claire, who um, is the um, like previous big star. Which, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. She's, the sp- she's the spouse of the A&R guy who, who's working at Bray. Right, right, right. Right. But she's been forced from the industry by market conditions. And so, so nowadays she's a realtor. Because so many people can't make their money in music, right? How do you do that? And so she's a realtor nowadays, but still married to um, to the A and R guy on the label. And so, um, and it's a really interesting and cool character. And um, that being said, I definitely knew that I wanted someone who was threatening to men, potentially in that role. And Elizabeth Rose, who I had met earlier in the day, it's funny because these people have you know, ended up being in my life, you know, in a fairly profound way over the last few years, you know, Liz could come in earlier in the day and had this sort of like kind of manifested this nice dark edge to her, right. to her reading. And so when Toddy came in and read for Claire later, I was like, Oh, that's very well done, but it's also very kind of upbeat. You know, it's like, there's no sense that she could, you know, plunge a knife in this guy's chest at any moment <laughs> and then so she read she's like and you know i kind of like to maybe read for terry which is um the sort of um false i'd call her like a false bimbo kind of yeah, yeah. admin assistant role and I, as soon as she started reading it it was just like you know you could see a woman in front of you who has dealt with a bunch of dudes who think they they know stuff and then like you know bat your eyelashes a little bit and just kind of you know move beyond the situation it was an incredible reading and i was laughing out loud and then it became apparent it was like well why aren't you reading for the main role of the film right and she was like well you know it's up to you know up to however old we'd you know shamefully put on the the (laughs) casting list between five and 14 that's how old you have to be to get into pop ladies and gentlemen right it it is a dark comedy (laughs) and so no i mean you know i I think it was i think we wanted to certainly you know play to the idea in um the music business um especially you know the last 10-15 years where you know you're bringing these like Disney actors, yeah, literally into the production studio and m- manufacturing a sort of star, but they, you expect to see that happen on the timeline when they're extremely young. Um, you know, the Britneys are, you know, right, right, right. Throw people into Absolutely. the bus, but yeah, those types of people, and so that was maybe going to be the idea, and so at Max, like maybe we were looking for an actor between like you know eighteen and thirty. Sure. Right. And so Toddy comes in and, and um, what your podcast won't show, she does, she is very baby faced. She looks a lot younger than she, she allegedly is. You know? <laughs> I look good for a 70, don't I, Sean? Right. You don't look Absolutely. a day over. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I laughed out loud when she told me her actual age because, you know, she was playing, you know, good 10 plus years under that. And, and then it kind of, took off from that um, from that point you know and then the music kind of crept in and like learning more about like what her 
true background was, it, it soon became extremely alluring to have a, a proper singer-songwriter mm-hmm. in the role of, of someone who is, um, the label just kind of puts her up there as some sort of, um, uh, we'll, put, we'll put songs in your mouth, you don't yeah, have to yeah. worry about that kind of thing. Um, it allowed us to enter, you know, kind of um, inject this ageism concept, which mm-hmm. of course the industry is very, you know, famous. And then they're like, oh, you're 29 years old, like you're way past your prime kind of you yeah. know, moments in yeah, the film. Yeah, definitely. That, um, that she was a lot uh, able to, to kind of provide for us, you know, in that casting. So it was cool. Yeah, also seems I mean seems like you were perfect for the part just in general. I mean, being an actor and musician, songwriter, just comes right in. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I could relate. Ironically, because she has that comedic Trey Parker background, she I mean she's the female lead in Cannibal the Musical, which has become this big you know touring sort of thing like all that guy's stuff has right i mean it's just yeah all, yeah, yeah. all very famous yeah like stuff. theater productions yeah events. that's a good point you're also not a stranger to the absurdist humor <laughs> right well but uh, but yeah like it's it's interesting to have someone come in at a local denver casting you know and jason stovall didn't like you know say oh this is so-and-so this is how she's different right you know, right than the others you'll see you know but but you know th- those films that she was in, like get talked about as is real cult classics, you know, and um, and with with some amount of validity in my mind. I mean, I've seen them um, since, and um, I think you know they stand in their own space. They're very funny. Yeah. 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 They stand in their own space. That's <laughs> well, you know. a very good way of putting yeah. it. You know, no, you it's know. true. Scott, how about you? Uh, let's talk about your history for a bit. How did you, what what were you into, and you know, as a youth, as a, I was definitely a fan of post punk. Yeah. In, in as a youth, and and um, in some ways, have sort of never gotten past it. Um, yeah, me neither. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Yeah, it, I, I think like as I sort of look back on my youth at, um, at other things, you know, that I first kind of fell in love with, mm-hmm. you know, like my favorite sports teams, you know, it's, it's harder when you're of a certain age, you can appreciate at the same level, you know, that kind of consumption or hearing things or seeing things or getting behind things. But man, when you, when you're experiencing it for the first time, you know, and I was lucky to fall in an age bracket where, you know, coming out of punk, like these bands had seen, you know, the Pistols or the Ramones or something, and they're like, you know, they had been used to to watching yeah. Deep Purple or Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. and thinking like, I could never do that. But then they see these more shambolic sort of bands that have high energy who just picked it up, and um, and they all get in line and they. Um, they, they find their instruments, they don't know how to play them, but the ideas are there and the energy is there and the music comes through in such a, a different way as a, a non-trained musician than those bands from the 70s that we kind of, that are still, you know, part of our diet every day, but um, a completely different thing. Yeah, I've, I've, we've actually talked about that on the show several times where I think, punk in general, I think they're, 
their biggest contribution to just the world of music and art actually is that concept that it's about the passion and energy like it's about emotion and energy not necessarily technical proficiency although you know you can be technically proficient and produce amazing art of course sure as as you're referencing in some of the you know highly skilled in those but those bands in the 70s that you're talking about that they they did almost seem like discouraging in the fact that they were they became so larger than life and just like oh, i'm never going to be able to do that and you have that it's a discouragement to kids you know to see that you need those yeah. items that you go well i can do that too and they're doing it with as much passion you know as anybody yeah it's it's really um that is the time for me where i think like you know the um, authenticity of um of just trying to go at it you know with your passion versus like your um your lack of training almost becomes your ally Mm -hmm. in some perverse kind of way now did you do you play i did well, it, 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 it's interesting, Did you get into Sean, that, that you asked that because I, I, I can't call myself a musician, but I proudly sort of carry that tag around. Like I, I've had a guitar for, you know, since the early 90s and I've just never learned to play properly, you know, oh, but, sure. I, but I can pick it up and I can find I, I'm, a, I'm a very good riff spotter, Yeah. you know, and um, and once I find a riff, I can, you know, play it. it a complimentary one in the other channel and then yeah. you know I can pitch shift down the E and the A on a six string to make it sound enough like a bass where I can fudge a demo <laughs> you know and that's yeah, and I think that yeah. Scott is kind of under um, under uh, promoted his work in the film as far as the music is concerned because like you like you heard him say he took two and a half years off to write the music so yeah, yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, right. I so when I uh, was hired to do this, um, and I also was hired to do the music supervision part portion of it, which were, was really not not traditional music supervision. I wasn't getting music from outside sources. I wasn't licensing anything. I was just kind mm-hmm. of yeah. um, making sure the music was being made. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I was going to be the one responsible for all the film, the entire all the music in the, in the entire film and and this is a movie about music and he had talked a lot about the um, influences as far as what the music should kind of what tone it should be and there was a lot of Bauhaus and Joy Division references and um, um, Iggy Pop and all of that stuff mm-hmm. and I was like wow I'm just I'm that's not really my type of the way that I write and I you know I was like yeah I'll take it on I'll do that kind of music you know that's great and and then I was kind of slow in producing music, I think. And, he, and then after a while, he was like, hey, you know, I have, I have some music that I wrote for it. This, this can be kind of the basis of some of the songs. Let's, let me give you some uh, reference and I'll send you these songs. So he sent me what are known as the Chipmunk Sessions, which are, um, I think he's written 30 songs, but I think what he shared with me was, was probably 10 or 15 of them. And so what they are when I first turn them on and listen to them all I heard was you know this this guitar and a little bit of keyboard and then this he would he was him singing but he pitched his voice up about an octave or more and so he sounded like a chipmunk (laughs) (laughs) so when I first heard these songs I was kind of like but I don't get it you know 
But yeah, I was yeah. really surprised once we did go into the studio to produce his songs, the layered, the texture, the just the complicated nature of the songs based on how he had a um, in mind a certain type of guitar tone. And Jimmy Nassi is an old great friend of mine who plays amazing guitar. Mm-hmm. And he's able to do whatever anyone asks him to do he's like you know he's good that way so but scott was very much like hey yeah man that's great but how about like you know they were very very particularly produced and i was like wow what i get it now i get it now once i heard the the fleshing out of the just it's a very tonal and as simple as it sounds it's super hard to make you know that's what Mm -hmm. i realized it was like so different than what i thought it was and then I, i was tasked with singing on all of them and that was amazing too, because when they're not your own songs, you are forced to sing in a different way. And he had very explicit directions on how to sing things and where to come from and what motivation you all, have. Not all the time. I mean, what was really sort of interesting, I think, about it, you know, is that you have, especially in that space, like you have, like I would even say your, your wife, Sean, has a, has a a voice that is not, it's pristine and it's deep and it comes from this um you know deep in the woods sure sure yeah and and what i what i'm kind of into um is the idea of counterpoints right and so toddy's voice is not that and and like if we had had let's say for example your wife come in and do the vocals it might have been too much of one thing Mm -hmm. you know because i really heaped on like you know the real basics of post-punk like you know find a find a riff which you know at the real is your real kernel of the song you know put some fuzz on that bass right you know like i was really kind of playing to the standard and and her vocal is is really the surprising element to me because her her she can do anything with her voice but when she's just doing what she wants on there it's sort of like I've only had really like one drink, but it's sort of like, (laughs) it's like, I like key lime pie a lot. Yeah. Right. And I like it because it's extremely sour. Yeah. And I have to pour a bunch of sugar in it in order to make it sweet, Uh you know? And it's just different than chocolate cake. Yeah. You don't have to do the sort of, you know, offsetting balancing yeah the balancing thing and so i love the songs i listen to them all the time still and but i really think that they stand out from the space that that i i wanted the film to sort of sonically pay homage to because um of this vocal and the vocal is also coincidentally the stuff that done by the same vocalist you know who has 10 of her songs in there you know that we originally right, right. that we originally went to war with, and um, and you know ultimately her songs are the stuff that carries the film. Like as the as the film concludes, you know, and it's very big moments where it's like, okay, we're gonna have a band on stage, and they're going to definitely need to play, you know, mm-hmm. rather than just have this ambiently playing and ambiently playing in the background, we're gonna have the band like really on stage performing and. This scene doesn't work, you know. We're dead, right? Like those are her songs, you know, because they're 
they were bigger, they were more complicated, they were more um, from the female perspective. Um, and we rec recorded them earlier and, and locked them in, you know. Nice. I will also say that part of the reason we went back to some of my songs was just simply because in the first edit, it was a very quiet movie. Quiet. <laughs> a film about music, and it was like... <laughs> we spent so many hours like trying to place her, her eventually recorded songs when they were still conceptual um, into the script, you know, because it hadn't been shot yet. Oh, we'll put, you know, of your 10 songs that we'll record, we'll put this one here, this one here. And we did that in the edit, you know, the editor assembled an initial cut that, um, that did what we, we called for. And it was dead quiet, dead quiet. That's um, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it, what's interesting about it? I can is see that happening, like because you don't realize how often I think, like, when you're watching something, that music is a part of it. Totally, it's a brutal. It was a brutal, hard lesson, but inevitably one that like was sort of joyous to make the corrections on. Sure. Yeah. You know, but but at the moment it was like, how could we've been so, you know, stupid? Like we watched we watch movies as consumers all the time and right. music is like from that point on I've never heard music in a film the same way again because I, I bet I bet yeah it's I know now that it's constant but it was so passively occurring to me yeah. in the past you know and so um, yeah and it's really cool that the whole film has music that's coming from basically the same source which is you know ultimately Denver and all Denver musicians and um, I think that's really beautiful about it. It's not pick and choose True. different, you know, songs from all over the place. It's like it has a and and I it think feels cohesive. It yeah. feels together. Like yeah, I think yeah. there's a subtlety sort of too. Like you know, at the beginning of the film and in the middle of the film, you are not the um, you know sort of revealed. Your character is not the revealed sort of solution. You know. To the to the label's ills, they're not. They haven't yet. Kind of, we haven't revealed it in the in the end. Ultimately, they shove Toddy's character up there as as some um, kind of um, cure all solution to the label's ails, and um, and they intend to put songwriter songs in her mouth, and um, she ends up writing some on 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 her own, and those are the ones that sort of um, bring everyone right. back to a point of artistic. Um, their artistic origins so the script originally was i don't know how many pages originally but it was it was closer to a three-hour movie than it was an hour and 39 minutes because of and when i first read the script it was so um massive and so sort of i wouldn't say discombobulated but just a lot of different things going on so many characters and so many which in his mind because he spent so much time writing it and curating it and he had this vision mm -hmm. and so so many awesome awesome little roads to go down but ultimately it didn't make sense unless you had three hours no one no one's gonna let you make a three-hour movie unless you're terrence malick no. and and even that it's like you just have to kind of like a terrence malick film you got to wander through either a jungle or the woods without much dialogue or music it's not like <laughs> you could get away with this and an film, unlimited budget right right and yeah and a, and a track record of success <laughs> all that stuff <laughs> yeah 
So, no, I agree with you. I think also the vulgarity um, that I, I have enjoyed working in with the film is, um, you know, a lot has changed since this thing sort of took legs, you know. Um, when sure. It, when it was getting written, it was in, you know, the Obama administration, and there was maybe, arguably, I mean, it's, it feels like a better, so much better world back then, and, but at the same time, like, there was a sort of, like, don't touch these topics in too much of a vulgar sort of way. And now, in this day and age, like... It's not vulgar enough. We have, yeah, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't meet the reality of, like, the yeah. guy at the top of the food chain and his vulgarity, you know? And it's like, it was it becomes a lot less shocking, suddenly, than it was would have been, like, you know, three years ago. You know, it's funny you mention that, because it's... In you never think about the delay between when somebody starts writing something and when you're consuming it, like especially in movie, especially with a movie, because you're it, that's such a long process usually from when that writer has the initial idea and starts working out those things. But I'm watching it, you know, now thinking this is like very relevant, like some of the you know actions right. of some of these corporate people, and I'm kind of just taking it as a commentary on, you know, these times and you know the. These I've, stories that come out about yeah. you know these you know disgusting I, guys. So I'm taking, but you're actually writing before even this really swelled up. <laughs> right. As it did. Not that that no. hasn't existed forever, and we have obviously have, you know known it's right. an issue right. forever. But, but still, as as you know, you're sitting across from two human resources people by trade. So right, like, right. 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 So it's I always knew very intimately because I was in charge of handling these situations. Yeah. You know, number one, you know, in, in an HR capacity, you, you train the living hell out of your workforce to try to minimize these things from not happening. And then you have to set really hard standards about getting rid of people when you did because, or when, when it does happen, because, you know, you trained on it and it, and it represents legal risk. And it's like, you know, I'm sorry, man, you know, yeah. But but yeah, you did what you did. And and the things that ha that do happen when you put disparate people together and ask them to spend 10 hours a day are truly shocking. They're shocking and that's what I wanted to come out in the film. But now of course that shock value is being you know competed against <laughs> by by you know the strangest <laughs> roles in the country in the world you know it's bizarre to me and so yeah you're right the timing like some somehow feels more relevant because of that yeah but, it feels more like like commentary on but, it right yeah but it's not as i i can tell you that like the freshness of the humor doesn't feel as um oh wow i haven't heard those kinds of jokes in a while sure sure and at the time they were written you know they were they were supposed to be kind of naughty fresh retro right, fresh right, right, right. Mm -hmm. you know I, I mean i i had to really go back and use my muscle memory to remember how i talked as a um you know sexually driven teenager yeah you know who who talks a lot differently than a sexually driven teenager might nowadays right like there's a language to that you know, and I and I wanted it to be in the script and put it in the mouths of Gen X dudes who never who grew up together, and are now running this company together and never grew out of it. And and it's there, um, but it it also competes with the reality of the world we live in today, which is really yeah. weird, unexpected. How did you get into writing in the first place? Is, I mean, is this something that you? 
pursued early yeah. on or something you were interested? I, I mean, I think I, I think this is really um, strangely like exactly according to plan. I I have always been a writer, you know. I, um, my my friends who from my childhood who, childhood who came to the premiere like are able to remember these essays. Um, that I specifically wrote in classes where I'd had where like the teacher would read the best essay out, uh-huh. and I would I would write this essay that was so morally corrupt, but the teacher <laughs> wouldn't know it, and so she'd be re- reading about like with an essay with this incredibly sexual subtext about like you know he fell asleep with his Longfellow in his lap or you know stuff like that, <laughs> right? And I was like in eighth grade, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and so. Um, so that's always kind of been me. I always like that kind of humor. I always have written. I went to college, you know, I was in the creative writing program and I sort of vacillated between really dark stuff and um, maybe sometimes really sexualized stuff and sort of had a, I just have never grown out of like what I started out with. <laughs> and, and I also, like I really, I really didn't see myself going to Hollywood and waiting tables and, and kind of being right. the person who would sort of maybe get a writing job on some massive team somewhere and, you know, write jokes for Seinfeld episodes, which I loved, but mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to always kind of do my own thing, you know? And, and um, so oddly enough, I found like the path for that would be like, I do have like an academic or business related side to my brain and it is, was to get into business and, um, and do well at that. I'm an introvert also. And so like having a network of people to go to see every day, um, was really helpful for me during those years. And it's something that I actually miss, you know, in the context of creating things. And so it kind of played out exactly strangely, like, like the way that I, wanted it to when did you start writing stadium anthems Man, closer to a decade ago than really? five yeah but again keep, keep in mind like i was working 50 hour weeks you know at a day job yeah and, and going in with my little memory stick ahead of work and then staying after and going in on the weekends and um, um what would you say like launched the original idea like i think i think the original idea you know, I, I had a lot of empathy for the bands that we grew up with that um, all of a sudden, you know, um, because of the internet, yeah. and, and, and in this specific case, Napster, like their stuff became free overnight. And I'm sure their, you know, retirement planner didn't have that in mind, you know? And, um, uh, and it felt... It initially felt unfair, you know, uh, although I hope the movie doesn't slant things that way because, of course, you know, with with that democratization, you know, has come, you know, so many incredible and, and wonderful ways to consume music, to make music, you know, all of that stuff. But that was probably the initial driver was like, wow, I could really talk about Mm-hmm. I could write a story about a label whose album leaks, you know, um, you know, their breadwinning act like has this album that goes, sneaks out before it's released and then everyone's eating the shit out of it on Napster rather than buying right. units anymore. And so that was, I, 
I'm pretty confident that that was the original driver. Yeah, it did felt if did feel the commentary on that on the change in the music industry and streaming felt it, it felt really balanced actually. It, it was kind of nice because you had the the characters and like you said they're kind of stuck in the past, and so that was a, you know a, a peek into that side of the music industry that is wanting to plug their ears and cover their eyes and pretend like it's not happening. You know, that kind of thing, like pretend like that they don't want to change. They're stuck. You know, they want to be stuck in that nineties model that right. served them so well, but it just, I mean, realistically almost overnight, it just went away. You know, that just that it's whole really thing big, just yeah. really quickly in, in relative. But then at the same time you, you talk, I mean that actually it's some of those, um, uh, spots you the cutaways you would do with little tidbits of information or what be a quotes or little tidbits and some of the, the one you had where you talked about that in the history of the recording you know uh being able to record music first and people thought that was gonna make it so right. nobody would go see live music and then radio came on and people thought oh, well nobody's buying music anymore because the radio's you know now free right they've it's kind of the story all this time yeah. yeah they've totally declared dead you know the recorded music industry a million different times in in you know with every different advancement of technology and you know for those who have always said that streaming like in a spotify or now the apple model is um is going to actually pay the artist um, potentially um th the more it infiltrates different countries yeah, you know the scalability of the actual of Wi-Fi and the cert and the streaming model itself into every country on the planet. Um, that's always been the argument for it. Is is like, you know, look, you hit the low with Napster, and but then and then with streaming, it might be only point zero 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 seven cents a stream. But you know, housewives in Siberia can hear it now. You know, and 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 so it's just becoming. Um, a new reality to me you know the the toughest thing even with a film and um and then and then like you know 28 pieces of original music it's just it's hard to get someone's attention mm -hmm. and i think that's the biggest mess of that technology offers us is the the sheer volume of options um, my sort of go-to on this was always like you know, when we grew up, you'd go home at night, and I'm going to sort of reveal our ages, but you'd have NBC, ABC, CBS, what? and then sort of later... Just three, three networks? <laughs> sort of later, Fox yes. kind of yeah. crept in. <laughs> but, like, but, but if there was, you know, fewer choices usually means a, a less lessening experience, but back in that day i'm not saying it was a better day it was just a different day but you'd come in and you you had watched the same program as your friends you right. had seen the same news anchor deliver the news stories that night there wasn't you know and if i'm thinking if i'm a kid today like i would probably be up in my room you know exploring the outer fringes and not having any sort of shared commonality oh with, absolutely you know, because you can go anywhere, and so why wouldn't you go everywhere? But but at the expense of maybe a, a commonly shared experience, it's really um, really weird. It, I it, I do I I do have somewhat of a nostalgia for exactly what you're talking about that 
that idea that you can think, God, like everybody's watching this right now, you know, like some special event or something like that where you're like, and you, you get it every now and then with some sort of live thing. I mean, yeah. you have things like, you know, Olympics and sports, you know, sports are good for that. Mm-hmm. But that experience of just knowing that even if you're in your home and alone or just with your family that, and you're watching something that it's, it's also being watched. And that used to be very common. You would go and, you know, talk about what show you watched next. And now it's, you know, a show comes out and you watch the entire season in, you know, two days and, <laughs> right. and like everyone, don't spoil it for me because they, they didn't get a chance to see it yet. And, right. you know, it's a just different world. Right. And, and then you have YouTube, which also is this strange archival sort of baton passer to other generations. Um, you know, the most, the, the, the most recent example, like, I mean, I watched Queen play at Live Aid. Mm-hmm. I knew what I was seeing at the time. It, and it was truly like, man, I didn't, I, you know, another one bites the dust had kind of got, had definitely gotten airplay in those recent years on top 40, Casey, Casey mm-hmm. Kasem type stuff. But I didn't know their whole back catalog, and nor did I expect when I was there to watch Live Aid for different bands other than Queen for right. them to come out there and, and blow the doors off. And, and of course, it's, it's an iconic show for for legit reasons and now so many years later and i'm sure youtube is the conduit to that you know it's like wow you know this movie certainly got made on the basis of that moment that we saw and that other generations have lived through you know right. this, this technological channel that we did not have and so it's <laughs> you know it's it's a mess, but in a in a wonderful way that's not going away. You know? Yeah, definitely. So writing this ten years ago, you get started. Did you know right away like this is a movie? I want this to be a movie. I did because I I I, I had always um, consumed movies as my sort of um, entertainment vehicle of choice, and at least in terms of both the audio and the visual, right? And so. Um, certainly, I thought movies back in that day um, had a lot more potential than, ironically, than series do. Yeah. And here we are, so so many years. Yeah, later. that flipped, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny you know, thing. I don't know if it's flipped or, or it's much as like you know it's, more balanced, maybe more like yeah, even the out. others yeah, yeah, come yeah. up yeah. to meet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Meet, yeah, meet the first, and so, um, you know, I think there's also um, something that's still pretty glorious about it. A, a three-act structure and a single um, piece of work that can be consumed in you know two hours or less. You know, I agree. I agree, and I, I I love a good show. I'm a I, I, there's I have a lot. I have a lot of shows I end up watching, um, and I really like how you can dive into a character and like really develop a character beyond belief. I, I love that about shows. So I'm really happy it's come up. Because uh, used to, you know, I mean, it used to be a joke about like television series, you know, shows like especially dramas and stuff it used to be cheesy. Um, so I love that going, but I agree. I, I I like sometimes you just want to digest it as a as a whole piece and then be done with it. You know, I love that. Absolutely, and and if you can, you know, establish characters and um, empathy and storyline and all that stuff in you know hour and a half, two hours. It's it is also an amb- very ambitious sort of thing. Yeah, know? yeah, it I, is. 
you know, it, it's so interesting how music does, um, and, and film, and that, you know, the, the mediums all kind of reflect each other. I think, I think if I were a full-time musician, I would always, and because of maybe where I've come from age-wise, for the same reason I want to do a film and not a series, I would want to do albums, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, like, we talk about the best albums ever, right? Not the best EPs ever. And, and, and or, you know, or the best, like, double A side or, you know, whatever <laughs> right, right. niche you can drive into. And, um, and to be, to put yourself into a space where you're like, you know, and, and I did think arrogantly about, like, what this could end up being in the space of, of a very small niche, which would be like, okay, you know, satirical dark comedy. Like, yeah, if we pull this off, like it could be really like a cult kind of film. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I feel like that the movie is sort of like one of those, they say cult because when, when it's something can't be defined or you can't put it in any kind of box, you're like, oh, it's a cult film. But it's true. I think uh, what defines a cult film is when you watch it once and you're like, oh, wow, I don't, can't, didn't really grasp it or I, I didn't really wrap my mind around the entire thing because it has a lot of different layers. And it, it does have a lot of layers and many less layers than it did when it was a three-hour movie. <laughs> but And that's why I think what will bring people back is that they may not have gotten it and when they do watch it again they'll see oh that oh that and then that and Mm -hmm. then there's that and i think that's what brings people coming back is the fact that it has multi you know it's multi-leveled yeah it sticks with you and it sticks with you sticks with you you watch it and like i said in the beginning there's you know just funny scenes it can be something silly like the like the um you know the guy in the the gag in the uh, office meetings it'll be something silly like that but it just sticks with you like it the image is pops in my head and i chuckle a little bit and so it makes you want to go back and watch it right and i think that's what ends up being me a a cult classic type of film is when it it becomes that thing that you you can go and watch at any time like you can just go and put on you can go and then you want your friends to watch it because you're like oh watch this and you see it through their eyes and then you see it a little bit differently it's like listening to an album when I, whenever I hear an album all the way through, a lot of times I won't like it, or I'll just be like, oh, you know, oh, I'm not sure if I really like that. And right. then the next time I'm like, oh, okay. And then by the 15th time, I'm like, this is my favorite album yeah. ever, <laughs> you know? Totally. <laughs> it, it just keeps revealing itself. I mean, there's this weird push and pull between like the, real, like the reality that the film deals in, in terms of like how almost impossible it is to get any work of art to sort of self-surface. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I, and, and so like Toddy has this great album, Planet Satsuma, and um, and I listened to it through, you know, early on in that process and was really blown away from it, by it. And, and, and I don't look at her at any less than, like, because of the fact that not many people have heard the record. Right? Um, but... And I, and then I subsequently, where I did write a movie, where where really it deals with that kind of stuff. That like you better be able to just be happy that you did great, a, a great thing that you can sort of be happy with. 
That's uh, part of what the movie talks about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but ultimately, there's also this, and you have to you have to experience this, man. You I know you do like it because you 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 make great art with your wife, and it's like, God, is there any chance like this shit can break loose from the paradigm? we have to deal with when we create art that can be digitized, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that has to compete with, you know, shitting cats on YouTube, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. For attention. Oh, absolutely. It's just like, man, hat, maybe if I, you know, maybe if it was constructed this way and executed this way, it could actually be that thing mm-hmm. that transcends all these like horrifying realities about, um, the very real possibility that your thing is just not going to be seen or heard or blah, blah, blah. And that, that to me, I think it's the most frustrating thing about our like current musical landscape because the, that the ability to make something is music wise is easier than it's ever been. The ability to go from, you know, idea to recording to putting it out and sharing with people is so easy i mean people can produce really great sounding stuff in their bedrooms you know and it's it's so the access is there for so many so with that as we were talking before there's just so much there's just so much and to be able to like rise above that you know noise floor is so extremely difficult and so the the difficult part doesn't end up being rejection it doesn't end up being people saying oh i don't like that it's just being getting people to even listen, yeah. right, like getting right. people yeah. to pay people attention. Want to. They want yeah. to see it. I will have like I always said this. It's I, I will happily take a no from a person. Like, I happily, and and not everybody likes the same kind of stuff. So if a person's like, oh, that's not for me, I would never hold that against somebody. I'd be like, yeah, okay, cool, not for you. Like, yeah, awesome. okay. yeah. Thanks for giving it a shot. You know, thanks for having a because listen. who it's for, they're really into. Exactly, and the, that's what. And so it's trying to figure out who it's for, and then get it in front of those people, and make it so they might actually consume it or, or have a listen. Like, just have mm-hmm. a listen. It's so hard. Yeah. That's the difficult. I think we. Whereas during those times and during the times that your movie references, uh, you know, like '90s and before, where you had this label system that would scout and they would find things and they'd be like, "This is what we've curated for the world." You know, this is what we're putting out, and people would follow labels and be like, "Oh, I'm, you know, going to listen to everything that label puts out." And it's like, I don't know. Nowadays, it's just exploded so huge, and there's so much more art out there. And with that, that's a beautiful thing. But it's, you know, yeah. when you have so many choices, like we were talking right. about before, <laughs> with you TV know, channels, you, what, the, what I, the hell do you listen to? I, I think there's an easy way to attack the film by by talking about it's like you know, penis centric humor that these guys use as a complete you know exaggeration of what it might be to have a male dominated workforce. But one of my favorite lines of the movie because there's plenty of poignancy in the movie that like can be marginalized if a reviewer or if I, or Toddy, like, you know, we talk, we apologize too much for the, the, the use of device, um, of, of crassity or vulgarity in the film, you know, to, to the point of our conversation here, you know, the, the, the A&R guy has, has a sort of mockumentary interview cutaway after he hears Toddy's band on stage or, or heroin is the, is her character um, in the film. And, and he's like, you know, I, I knew right away it would change everything. 
And then he pauses and he says, if we could get anyone to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a joke. Yeah. It's right. It's it's like that's I think like the conviction that that maybe people from our generations still have to because we we were from that time where like you you ideally thought that like the great stuff would surface. Mm-hmm. You know, if I talk to younger musicians nowadays, they don't they have no expectation of of realizing that because they haven't they right. didn't grow up with one and then have it switch on the fly and go to the other. You know, I'm like, oh. but they go about it. Kids these days go about it so much differently. They're having a constant conversation with the artists that they love. Their artists are looking at them, you know, live yeah. tweeting, live yeah. videoing, you know. And so I think that that's one way of getting people's attention. This is not made for 13-year-olds. This movie is not made for... So true. But they can still appreciate it, I think. But in order for us to be able to push the movie, I think we would have to speak their language and be able to show them that we we have a connection to you so so like promoting a movie i mean that's like what you've done which is an amazing feat and to be able to promote it so that people will actually watch it there there should be a really strong social media push right and what we were told and what we know is that we need people to watch this movie. We need them to review it because as an independent feature, reviews speak multitudes. And if we have 20 reviews and we have a five-star rating, that's great. But it's like someone, anyone's like perusing Amazon yeah. and they see it and they're like, oh, oh wow, five stars, 20 reviews. So okay. What she's alluding to is like the absolute horror of transitioning from like, Okay, you've got you've written a thing, and then you're casting a thing, and these these things are all like wonderful. Yes. They're they're all creative, and then um, then you've made the thing. Yeah. You've got a distributor, and you you know you you, you have the finished this. product. You're proud. Right. You're proud father of this baby. Right. But yeah. then then the realization comes. It's like you know, and I've tried to again. This is like a, a changing paradigm with our generations who have seen enough and have seen. Um, things change what when you say oh, we got a distributor you're like oh congratulations and if someone in their 40s is probably thinking that means i'm going to see your poster like in the subway <laughs> you, you know like yeah, before yeah, i get yeah, on yeah. the subway in london that's going to be i'm going to see that poster like someone is putting some serious what channel is it on do I have to stay up or can I just tape it? <laughs> um, so, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you got a distributor. But nowadays a distributor um, might help you with the planning of like how you get rally people around it. But ultimately they're like, okay, we're going to put it on platforms all over the world where people could watch it. Where it's there. Because it's, it's sitting there. But it's sitting there. But how you how end do you up, rise above that noise? Yeah. Yeah. How you end up right. driving someone to it is like, hey, we already put in right. for sixty-eight English-speaking countries. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, that's our obligation. Now you go find it. Right. And it's not studio produced. It's not so, going to be in the front. Right. Page. Exactly. And so my hope 
and, and all this stuff, like, which is probably again, like the push and pull between like making a film in which you're basically saying like, look, there's really no hope. You just better go out and put, make good art and be happy with it later and then go paint a house or something like there is still hope in my mind because now we're entering the marketing space and I feel like unlike a, a romantic comedy or, you know, a comedy about like, you know, building houses, this thing has a natural secondary market, which is people like you, you're a musician, right. you, know, you do podcasts, whatever you've, you've seen these things happen and you might not like necessarily or think like, Hey, these, these tools that this guy has used in the filmmaking process were spot on, but, but it's relatable. I think to people who are trying to make, um, a living off of, um, art that can be digitized and shared on the internet, what its valuation should be right. when you're, when you're consuming it on the internet. Oh, absolutely. Stuff like that. And so to me, like, you know, I want to reach out to people like music journalists, not necessarily like film reviewers, you know, which I would do with any other kind of film, but like, and say, Hey, you know, I, I understand John Robert, you know, whatever louder than war. Like, you know, you're used to reviewing music and shows and records. And we could even get into talking about how having a movie made of its ilk in Colorado is good for Colorado film. Oh, definitely. You know how Colorado film, the film industry in Colorado tanked in the 90s because of that measure that was passed that allowed employers to dismiss employees if they were um, gay. And so that, in, at that time in the late 80s, mid 80s, late 80s, there was a lot of TV shows that were being filmed here. And once that happened, Hollywood was like, mm-mm, bye-bye. We don't like Colorado anymore. Our I didn't movie, know that. But yeah, it tanked, and nobody wanted to come here because we're assholes, you know. And then out over the years, I mean, that was um, that stopped, and we that didn't last very long. Right, but right, the right. damage had already damage been done. Occurred, yeah. And then even now, our stipend or the um, incentive for making films here is grossly underfunded and grossly political in my view of how they pick and choose who gets the incentive because you can get if you're making a film in Colorado you can get like a is it a 40% tax break or at the top it's it's 20% which is pretty standard throughout different states but like their budget so what she's talking about right is just like the same difference as any other industry you know there's a a lobbyist group who will who will try to bring, you know, construction to Colorado and they'll have this amount of incentive to bring business to, to this state rather than another state. Sure. In the film industry here, um, it's very, I have to be very careful about this because the film industry is a two headed thing here, right? The cast and crew that were able to do a film like stadium anthems and have them accessible, um, was incredible and the only reason I was able to afford them is because no other films 
you know, in a sort of like there's tremendous documentaries that get produced in Colorado, but in terms of like casting, you know, a 50 character film, um, it doesn't come around here that often, you know? And so I was able to get cast and crew on the cheap. I was able to pay actors like 125 a day, which is ridiculous, right? For doing things because they're like, Oh my God, a film is coming here and you want, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason films don't come here is because, you know, just like in any business sector, you know, states have individual funds in which to attract business to, to that state. And, and our um, film budget is incredibly meager. And um, a convincing argument hasn't been made between the film office and... Um, you know, the congressional people in which the office answers to. And so um, the film budget stays incredibly low. Meanwhile, you know, Netflix, which is, you know. Um, multi, multi-billion dollar company. Right. They go to New Mexico. Yeah, they went to New Mexico. Which is a hop, skip, and a jump. For billions. Of and they have great tax incentives for film there, obviously. They're that and Atlanta. So why aren't we on that roster, you know? Right, right. <laughs> it, we're so rich yeah. now. We yeah, can do right. anything. It, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's just this little ugliness about um, our our art community, which isn't really about our art community. It's not about the art artists or, or the actors or the, you know, it's about the people who either make it happen or they don't. Right. Can you make a convincing argument to the people, um, um, who fund your budget that, that you, um, need more money and not just like another million, but you know, some, some state, which I think a lot of local, I mean, we're all, you're from Colorado, you know, Sean and I are not, but like New Mexico, I, I, I feel is a place that most, lots of New Mexicans came to Colorado from New Mexico, you know, and now like you get like a Netflix paradigm shift down there and all of a sudden, you, you know, there's a cultural sort of upset to that it's like wait no i'm not i'm not necessarily living in the place that's arguably you know more you know has a one up on the other place it's like man my place doesn't bring in films i just think we're missing a important um component being as how denver is so booming right now and the art scene is booming diy is booming meow wolf is coming here yeah music is great but film is one of those things. Why not? You know, sure. we could totally do that. Maybe next to come. Yes, yes. I, I think like to to come back here and um, reestablish, you know, and um, and play potentially potentially have like the music from the film played live um, at a at a place in which we you know shot scenes from the film. And in which we could also show the film as either the you know the introductory act you know the you know or, or the headliner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd I'd love to I'd love to find a way back to Denver to kind of dot the eyes. You know, I was curious if there was going to be some sort of Denver premiere like that, some sort of Denver show. 
I mean, I think we've all talked about it over the long term and have just not formalized anything. It's like a, I will have a conversation with Toddy and then maybe Toddy talks to Jimmy and then like, you know, I talk to Kyle and it's, and then Kyle will circle back and go, so did you talk to Toddy anymore about that? <laughs> and that was like a year ago, right? And then all of a sudden like you're 82. Well, I think we need, we need to let the film sit for a second. Yeah, yeah. You know, we need the people in the, in the film and the people that worked on the film to promote it and champion it. And then, and thankfully we can do podcasts uh-huh. like this one. And then I think we should put together a show with actual, with the band that created the songs in the first place on stage and do a number of them, not the entire album, play a few songs beforehand, do the movie and play songs afterwards and promote it. Uh, yeah, I think that would be amazing. I think a lot of people would want to That'd be really come. cool. Yeah. The, I, I'm... I just worked it out for you. (laughs) Why don't we follow that exact blueprint and never have like, never, never like even suggest that we vary from it. That sounds perfect to me, but we have not formally um, baked that in. That's if that's, if that was what your question was. I think it's a wonderful idea. I think you should go for it. Yeah. Before we go, I have a couple questions I always like to ask people. And I found this uh, Nick Cave quote. And the quote is, I go into my office every day and work. Mm. Whether I feel like it or not is irrelevant. Inspiration is a word used by people who aren't really doing anything. I love that one. <laughs> yeah. So, Cave is my, is, um, you, you want me to just start rambling? <laughs> no, 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 no. So, my question, <laughs> okay. All right. my question specifically, I, I saw that and I had to, I had to pause and um, I ended up get, grabbing a screenshot because for the last, um, probably 10 episodes or so I started asking a couple of questions to every single person I was interested on what how people would answer differently and one of the questions is uh, what inspires you Uh, but the follow-up to that is what do you do in those cases when you're like artistically like you want to do something but you're not feeling it you're not inspired at all and you just you have no interest and I always use the example of because I have all this in gear in front of me this midi gear beat gear sense and stuff like that so one of the things i like to do and i'll do on my own is sherry goes to bed early i'll stay up kind of late and i'll flip on the stuff and i'll just make make some beats I'll just make some sounds you know make some music and some nights i'll come in here and i'll be like buzzing and like really into it and I'll flip all this on and I can't make it fast enough and I can't produce fast enough and I'm just excited and it like feels electric and everything I do it's like everything I do is magic you know <laughs> like, oh I love everything and then sometimes I flip it all on and I'm like I don't even fucking want to look at this shit like I am not interested I don't want to do this and then I'll end up turning it off or walking away and then there's been times where I'll flip it all on. I don't really feel like doing it, but I kind of force myself and I come up with something I like. So I always ask that because I, I love people's opinions and, you know, saw that quote pop up. And the reason that interested me was because almost everybody answers the same. Almost everybody says, oh, you just let it go. You walk away. You don't force it. Everybody says you don't force it. You walk away. Except for two people, which is... Uh, not on my podcast, but Jack White of the White Stripes in a documentary about the White Stripes, he referenced exactly like this Nick Craig quote where he says, no, it's work. 
you get to it. You show up and you work and you put in the work and then it will come. You don't wait for the inspiration to come. You make it come. And that's basically what I what I pulled from that quote too. Mm-hmm. And so fascinating. So I was I found it ironic that I saw that and was like, holy shit, that's like what I've been asking everybody for like two months now. That is really interesting. <laughs> right. There's a longer part to that quote too where he's like, the garbage collector doesn't sit at home and wait to be inspired <laughs> to collect the garbage. Right. The garbage collector goes to work. Yeah. And that is truly um, that mindset on a larger scale, finding people like that who continue to get better as they get older is, yeah. is rare. And, right. and, and to, to get rid of the artistic bullshit about having to be sitting there, you know, out in some Zen state and inspired or, or if you're not inspired, you don't go in there and work or, or you walk away from it that much easier. It's, I mean, of, of all these socio tech technological or economic factors that are afoot, like how could you possibly expect to do well if you're not constantly attacking and feeling like, man, I attack harder than anyone else. And that's what I got going for me above the next guy. And that, I mean, it inspires your own self-belief, you know, because you, you know, art, artistic people that is their Achilles heel is this need to have perfect weather conditions to, to work. And it's both, it's total bullshit. Yeah. You have to attack constantly. You have another, to keep at it. Another quote that he's got um, more recently is this idea of like, you know, the sort of nobility in chasing a shitty idea rather than flushing it. You know, it's like, man, this idea does not seem on the surface to have an end result that's going to be pleasing. But let's just drive at the prize drive at it right and and drive at it because it's a bad idea rather than a good one it's almost <laughs> flips every you know yeah it's like, oh that killer riff oh no this this loop which which we're trying to create music over is like really annoying let's keep working with it <laughs> <laughs> until we find the sweet spot yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that makes sense I really liked, you know, when I started writing that music, I was the Grinderman albums were coming out. Oh, sure, sure. And I really loved how he had never played guitar, and they had set up these different rules for him. They were like, okay, Nick is not going to sing about God or sex or love. That's what's going to make Grinderman different than the Bad Seeds. And he's going to play guitar, and he doesn't know how. <laughs> you know? And it's like, and then all of a sudden you have this really raw thing that's different but distinctly him come out of it. It's like, man, that was post-punk all over again, you know, like a reset button. It was cool. I think there was another quote in there. I'm not sure who, but it said something like, I don't wait for the muse. Get up and do it. Do you, do you remember that quote? It was another, it might've been this one that I just kind of paraphrased. Anyway, I agree. And that's my favorite quote in the whole movie is that because it's so true I appreciate all artists who do any kind of work ever 
but the artists that will say, oh, I just wait for the muse to hit me, and I just write, you know, I wrote that, I shout out that song in 10 seconds. <laughs> like, yeah, right. yeah it, it probably did come pretty fast, but to say that that's how they wait and do their music is just, like you said, patently kind of untrue in a way. But for me, all I know is that there are more days and there are not where I choose not to follow the muse which for me the muse is like touching an instrument sure, if I sure. touch an instrument whether that be my guitar or whether it be like singing the minute that I start singing or picking up an instrument I'll write something it may not be fully fleshed out or anything but it's something and I'm committed to it for something. that yes. something and I'll record it on my phone or I'll try to flesh it out as much as possible. But at least I feel like the older I get, the the less I write, but the more effectively I write when I do actually sit down and write something. And mm. I want to write more, but when I was a lot younger, when I would sit and, and it would feel so good to just write and I would spend so much time doing it, but it was all in the craft of doing it. And now I feel like I've gotten to the point where I can consolidate everything and make it a little bit more streamlined because I have uh, a life outside of it right. and I have to attend to I have less time to do it so I better make it count mm. I think that's just the, that's cool. the touching of the instrument yeah that's cool what a awesome. uh, couple more of my questions what um, what's making you happy right now Toddy <sighs> happy and right now could mean right now right now could mean this week this month Oh, this man. year well I you know I am leaving a chapter in my life where I'm I'm not employed I think I mentioned that before <laughs> for the first time in a long time and so I'm kind of at a crossroads in a way mentally in that like I can take this time that I have before I need to find another job which is imminent but um, to kind of soul search and decide if I want to jump more into the um, creating different creative income streams, mm-hmm. trying to really like sort of force myself to make it my, my work. And whether that be voiceover, acting in a limited way in, in, in Denver, um, starting to try to license my music yeah, out, sure. you know, that kind of thing, like put my all that focus that I've put onto a day job for so long into working on my brand, you know, right. for lack of a better word. And no, absolutely. just knowing that it's going to take work, like Nick says, you know, every single day and like really try to do that and force myself to step out of my comfort zone and make that happen. Or, you know, just look for another job and try to suffice by you know creating and making music on my off hours you know so I don't know it's kind of I feel like I'm a little bit in a a crux right now that's how I uh, you know I I, I've never wanted to be recognized at the magazine stand that doesn't exist anymore you know (laughs) and and so like you know for some of these folks like I've always wanted the film to be good enough to um have people say oh that person over there I'd like to you know create new opportunities for that person by virtue of me watching this film or hearing this music or whatever and so I really do hope that happens um for Toddy in particular 
you know, because she's, you know, the two sort of two sport player in this, and as far as being, you know, the, the, the lead and, you know, the primary songwriter. And so, um, so that's awesome. I don't want to deviate from your question, which is like, what's making you happy? What's making me happy is like, I just cannot wait to get done with 2018. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm truly I like in retrospect, like I, I hope that it'll be the, like this sort of signature piece of my life where I said 2018, we finally got that damn movie out of the barn, yeah. you know? Yeah. But it, but, but it has been such a, um, off energy year in almost every other aspect. And so I'm dramatically unpleasing that like, I really am just happy that someone created a 12 year or 12 month calendar cycle and that it's about to end <laughs> and that there's a reset, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just done with it completely. You know, that's Thank a you. great answer. Actually. I love but, that. Answer. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> like just in case you ask this, those cycles, those cycles are awesome. I, I love yeah. cycles like that. New you, Year's you feel is like a you great, can purge, man. It's yeah. Like, when you, you smell bad this, or you're dirty, you take a shower. Right. But like we once a them. year, you know, it's true. God, I'm so ready for that. It allows Sucks. you to start new diets. It allows you to like you know for one day project greatness on yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give up drinking for a little while. Like you know, this. <laughs> let's not go too far. <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves <laughs> right. now. Right, right. No, that's I fun. love that. That's wonderful. Thank you. This has been wonderful. These are cool yes. questions. Do you have one I more? Is that it? Uh, one more question. Yeah, I have a. Um, What's something other than, so in, in your case, other than movie making, acting, and music, something else that you're into? What do you like to do? Something else you like to do? I'm, I have taken on um, felting, felting as a hobby. What is Like felting, felting gnomes. This is why I love this, this is question. This is the season for felted gnomes. They're a traditionally Swedish or otherwise like Northern European tradition. Um, and you felt gnomes together and, and you can make really good money doing this. I'm just really terrible at it, but what, what that's something I really like felting? to do. To take a piece of wool and the wool is of different colors and you wrap it. And then what you do is you stick a, um, a, like a, a, you can do a toothpick or you can do a needle. And so when you, you, you stick the needle in the wool in a ball and it becomes tighter and harder and harder and harder and then you do different colors and so anyway it's very hard to describe to the listeners but it's are there examples of this on the internet? yes felted <laughs> gnomes sounds like grossly it's fun i'm gonna be arrested and for the usually there's gnomes. a reddish color in some of the wool because i've stabbed my finger so many times but it's wow, all for I art i've never heard of this this is amazing yeah and you've do probably you seen them <laughs> yeah, sure. I can find pictures. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm truly like not them. able to pro project your description into visualization. I took a class no, at Fancy no Tiger. It was awesome. And now I haven't gone back. Actually, I haven't sold anything. But if I ever change careers, maybe I'll just do felting. You can felt cats. The Japanese are really good at felting totally lifelike cat faces. It's crazy. How about you, Scott? Um, what was the question again, Sean? What, what's Before something that you're into? Other than, 
other than what we've already discussed, other than the art of writing and movie making and what's something you're into? I, I mean, it's a great question. Um, y- you know, I thought of Toddy the other day because she w- worked on one of John Carpenter's soundtracks, right? Like when she was in Los Angeles. It's amazing. Yeah. And, um, and he's out touring his music. You know, he's an older dude right now, but he's running he's around touring his music. And um, and someone asked him like, "Why are you doing this?" And he's like, "Man, because you have to get the hell away from like movie making. It's 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 a brutal, unforgiving. It's a lot more awful than what people think." Right. And like, I've knocked off this bucket list thing. I'm not John Carpenter. He's got he's fucking John Carpenter. But but the reality is that um, I have sort of because I'm not great at multitasking or picking up and putting down things like I've really spent a way too long on this process to be a healthy well-rounded individual and so like I'm kind of psyching myself up into the possibility that like I just kind of built this felted gnome and put it over there <laughs> and 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 at end of life, like that'll be something that I'm super proud of. But now it's time to resume a more diversified sure life. And um, because I can't really answer your question honestly, in terms because of you're what, not into anything right I'm, now. I'm kind of not getting off on that all that much stuff. You know, I get th- it. There are things that yeah. bring me through the day. I love listening to music. Like I'm a big animal person. Like I love having pets. He wants you to um, release the dogs. <laughs> I like me. to not be unhealthy, you know, in this older age. Like, it's not cool with me if I go through bouts where I'm that. And so, like, there are certain ways that I like to be, but in terms of having, like, experiential kind of stuff, I've, I've, I've plowed way too, m- pushed too many chips in, into the in middle of the table on, on the film. And it's time to. You know, diversify with some stuff that like m- might be really boring to people. Like I might really like to have have a job with a built-in social network and a guaranteed, you know, check and, sure. and income the next day. And so, like these are these are very boring things, but they they're quickly becoming aspirational. You know, that's a wonderful mm. answer. I totally mm. get it. You pour yourself mm. into something like this. You know, and you pour your heart and soul into it and to the point where, you know, if even for a little while, it, it, it feels like it's becoming your identity. It's becoming who you are. And so when you get to that point where the felted gnome is complete and the blood is right. dried, right. you you right. you need to go, OK, what am I going to do next? And that's where you are. Yeah. I totally yeah. and, 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 you know, creatively, I would answer the question differently. Something that I learned from this process, like I really like the joy. There's a joyousness to writing songs. You know, I can whack out a song in two weeks to six months. I'm not really, I'm like too methodical to usually do a full song in a day like some of these most inspired people, but... But on a creative level, if you're capable of doing like these, these real, these, you know, the process of collaboration became a new thing to me. Like I'm really kind of, you know, I like to write a poem. I like to write a song. Sure. 
and and that didn't require anybody else. And then the film, of course, required total em embracing of the collab collaborative process, and so did the music, especially when you're working with people who know what the hell they're doing and you don't. You know, like you throw yourself at their at their feet. Um, but now that I know that the thing that I got into this for, which is the massive, you know, and I love, I, I know that that's part of me, like to take on the biggest thing and try to do it. Like I've done that, but like the things that were most joyous were like those two years when I was writing music and I was like, man, I wrote 30 songs in that span. And, um, and I got that sort of, I got my itch scratched a yeah. lot more regularly than I did with the film, you know? Ah, I get that. When you talk to actors, a lot of them were like, uh, you know, before the movie was cut, oh, that was the greatest thing I've ever done. And I'm like, how do you know? It's not cut. It's not a movie yet, you know? Yeah, but it they, was such a great environment that so many actors were really like and genuinely struck right. by it. And, and I was struck by like the fact that, that you folks also are different than me. You like the moment of of acting. You like the moment of being on a stage and performing. It gets that's what gets you off. It's not the right. end product as much as it but is. But having a really legitimately produced film where an actor shows up and there's an actual trailer with people offering you drinks and where you have a makeup artist and you have a of noteworthy script supervisor um, and people that know what they're doing is a real treat in Colorado, you know, whether that speaks to the fact that there's not a lot going on here or the fact that it's wonderful that we were afforded the opportunity to do that yeah. through you, you know? Yeah. yeah, no, that's totally true. Like we, we're able to get people on coupon all over the place. It's <laughs> awesome. It but was just a legitimate um, production. Which I is, just I just took no joy from it until the end, right? Like during the shoot, we weren't going to make our days, right? I wanted all these scenes. I wanted them to get done mm -hmm. this day at these locations, and it's like there was that fear of like plowing your money and your time and your creativity into something that wasn't going to get fully captured on film because you could make your days. Yeah, like you, you just bit off more than you can chew. So it was a miserable 20 days for me. All the actors were like having these little sort of just things around them all the time. Like these, oh, we're just so happy. And then we're, and then they lap, lapse into doing great work. But they clearly enjoyed like the moment of enacting the roles. And I was just like, I'm years from getting any juice out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. Yeah. That makes complete sense to me, and it, it's not surprising at all that you would feel that way. But 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 then like it's a massive moment when you stand back and you're like, I built the fucking pyramids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you see the movie. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> like it's like holy crap! Like I just finally there is a massive sort of, you know. I would I would guess I would guess like the person who has sex once every three years like has. <laughs> would know exactly what I'm talking about and they know like it's going to be like I have to do all these other things and that and on that date like that's going to be a big day for me mm -hmm. one to circle on the calendar and so so from this standpoint I, I'm I'm so stoked to be done 
and proud of everyone who participated in I think it stands up and and will stand up for some time. It's cool. Agreed. Stadium anthems on Amazon. Yep. On Amazon in every English speaking country, including those who speak American, which is a decidedly different dialect. <laughs> and um, so like I, I think the film should do well in Australia. Like we're, we're raunchy people like Nick Cave live. <laughs> and um, and then in the in the new year, um, you know, the subtitles and translations have been done and so we'll we'll conquer. And for people Europe. listening, if, if if they go and they watch this movie, they should also take a moment and give it a review. Yes, please. Because it's, it it's, helps. It's, it's so hard. If you're on the artist side, like, you know, let's say we're talking about a band. Yeah. Go see them when they play. Yeah. Right? Go buy their fucking overpriced T-shirt as long yeah. as it's only mildly overpriced. Because... Even on a national act, like that's all, all you're gonna do to keep them together. It's the different world, you know. Yep. Write a review. Right. Write a review. Sit, Type pan the damn thing. Pan it and say why, though, you know, or or love it and say why. Thank you, Sean, for having us. Yeah. This is great. Scott and Patty, this is wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing it. This is awesome. <laughs>